Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss community health centers, or more specifically the work they've been doing with Affordable Care Act funding. With me to discuss the topic is the National Association of Community Health Centers, Michelle Prozer. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Uh, Michelle's bio, of course, is posted on the website. Let me begin with some background or context. Community health centers, or more formally termed federally qualified health centers, provide, moreover, primary care services. 36% of community health center patients have no health care insurance, 62% are minorities, and 32% are children. Patient fees are based on a sliding scale based on family income. Community health center capacity was substantially expanded under President George W. Bush, that is the number of patients treated doubled. To help serve the newly insured under the Affordable Care Act coverage expansion, the law provided $11 billion over five years for a CHC fund to pay for new community health center sites, expand primary care services, including behavioral health, and to fund further community outreach and enrollment activities. With me again to discuss, moreover, ACA funding of the community health centers is Michelle Prozer. And as always, uh, the interviewee, Michelle's comments are her own. Michelle, with all that, first let me begin by asking you briefly, can you describe the National Association of Community Health Centers' work? Sure. Well, NAC's mission is to promote the provision of high-quality, comprehensive, and affordable health care that is coordinated, uh, culturally and linguistically competent, and community-directed for medically underserved people. And in carrying out that mission, we represent the national network of um, as you mentioned, community, migrant, homeless, and public housing health centers, also known as federally qualified health centers. We tend to go by health centers for short. And health centers um, right now serve over 22 million people across the country through more than 9,000 delivery sites located in all 50 states and territories. Patients are predominantly low-income, uninsured or publicly insured, um, members of racial and ethnic minority groups. About half of all the sites are located in rural communities, and about a quarter of patients speak languages other than English. And health centers disproportionately serve the nation's most vulnerable. For example, they um, serve um, one in seven of the nation's uh, Medicaid enrollees, and one in five low-income uninsured, and one in three people below poverty. So since 1971, NAC has been providing research-based advocacy for health centers and their clients. We educate the public about the mission and value of health centers. That's a big part of what I do. We train and provide technical assistance to health centers and their boards. And we develop alliances with private partners and key stakeholders to foster the delivery of primary care services to those communities in need. So we also work very closely with a network of state health center and primary care organizations, usually known as primary care associations. They're in every state. Um, we work with them very closely to serve health centers in a variety of ways. We also work very closely with um, a network, uh, an entity called Health Center Controlled Networks, and they operate in most states as well. And Health Center Controlled Networks bring together three or more um, independent um, health center grantees to um, work collaboratively on large-scale infrastructure projects usually, um, particularly in the adoption and use of health information technology. Um, but I also want to talk a little bit about the health center model of care to kind of set the framework or frame here. Um, it's a pretty unique model, and it, the model is actually grounded in federal law, both um, regulatory law and um, um, statute as well. Um, the model is designed to remove those entrenched barriers to care and provide high quality of care traditionally underserved um, communities. 
Um, so for example, they're required to be located in or serve federally designated medically underserved areas. They are required to be open to all, regardless of ability to pay, and they do have sliding fee discounts for those who cannot pay anything, um, and many of those don't pay anything. They're also required to provide very comprehensive primary and preventative care services. Most provide dental care, uh, mental health and substance abuse services, pharmacy services. Many provide vision services as well. And all health centers are also required to provide what we call enabling services. So those services designed to facilitate access to care, such as translation, transportation, home visitation, case management, uh, outreach, and so on. Um, health centers are also required to tailor their services to fit this, the preferences and needs of the communities they serve. Um, and that's for, for that reason, they provide services in a linguistically and culturally competent manner. They're also um, required to have formal programs of quality improvement and conduct regular community needs assessments. And what we think is um, perhaps foundational to these requirements in health center success, and one of their most unique requirements, is that they're community governed. That health centers by federal law must be governed by a board that is made up of um, majority patients. So 51% of their board has to be, at least 51%, has to be active um, consumers of their care. And that's to help to ensure that they're very responsive to community needs. And research shows that health centers do provide very high quality care and they break down access barriers and they're cost effective, saving at least $24 billion annually for the entire health care system. And folks can actually learn a lot more about NAC and health center program by going to our website at www.nac.com. Great. Well, thank you for that overview. Let me ask you a specific question before we go to the funding, and that is, now, this country, as you're well aware, suffers from significant disparities in health care delivery and outcomes. So let me ask you specifically relative to the care or quality of care CHCs provide, what success have CHCs had in reducing health care disparities? They've had quite a lot of success, actually, and research on their disparities reduction goes back decades. Um, the health center program, I failed to mention, has actually been around since um, 1965, officially in federal law, and um, research on them goes back um, probably almost as, as far Again, we believe their success really stems from their unique, comprehensive, and community-tailored model of care, especially as that model is designed to break down barriers of care and improve access for populations that traditionally experience acute health disparities. So, for example, um, research shows that health centers reduce or even eliminate racial and ethnic disparities across their patient population. Um, they, patients are more likely to have hypertension and diabetes under control. Um, as well as their uh, patients are uh, more likely to receive key preventative services such as breast, cervical, and colorectal cancer screening. And um, one of my personal favorite examples is that despite serving very high-risk, low-income patients, they consistently perform better than the national average for low birth weight and narrow racial and ethnic disparities in low birth weight babies. This effect is particularly noteworthy for African-American women who are at the greatest risk for adverse pregnancy outcomes. If the nation, one study found that if the nation lowered its low birth rate, excuse me, its low birth weight rate for African-American babies to be at the same level as their health centers nationally achieved, there would be more than 17,000 fewer low birth weight African-American infants nationally. 
annually. And we have a pronounced disparity in infant mortality between Absolutely. black and white. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. And so health center research shows that they, um, health centers, um, not only do they have lower birth, lower rates of low birth weight nationally and for low income patients, but they narrow that gap for all racial and ethnic groups as well. Um, but other research shows that health centers are able to have um, an impact on racial and ethnic disparities at a statewide level as well. So as health centers serve more of a state's low-income population, the black, white, and Hispanic white disparities declines in, in key areas such as infant mortality, receipt of prenatal care, tuberculosis cases, and even age-adjusted death rates. Health centers also um, narrow disparities experienced by uninsured and publicly insured populations. So health center Medicaid and uninsured patients, for example, have much higher rates of preventative screens, such as those for diabetes, hypertension, uh, breast and cervical cancer. And um, one recent study found that low-income uninsured people living within close proximity of a health center are actually less likely to have an unmet medical need, less likely to visit the emergency room or have a hospital stay, and are more likely to have a general medical visit compared to other low-income uninsured. That same study found that Medicaid-enrolled adults living near health centers are also more likely to have a usual source of care. We actually track a lot of the research on how health centers are narrowing healthcare disparities, as well as improving access to care, um, improving quality, and um, generating cost savings to the healthcare system on our website. We have several annotated bibliographies there that are very useful for others looking into health center research. And it can be found on our website at NAC.com research. Okay, let's go to the um, advertised theme of this interview, and that is uh, the ACA Affordable Care Act created a community health center fund that provides $5 billion over five years. So really I'm interested in asking how has that money been used uh, to date and to what effect? Sure. So, as you said, the Affordable Care Act provided $11 billion for the expansion of the health center program over five years, and that's in a form of a mandatory health center fund, so it's not discretionary funding. Of that $11 billion, $1.5 was allocated for capital needs to help health centers expand and improve facilities and construct new buildings. The remaining $9.5 billion was intended to allow health centers to actually expand their operations um, and also expand capacity. Um, and those were, would be done through what's called new access points. And it allows them to not only expand hours and hire more providers, um, but it also allows them to add new services like oral health and behavioral health. While the ACA called for using the health center fund to grow the program over existing funding levels, however, Back in 2011, during the budget battles, Congress cut funding for the health center program by $600 million. So that $600 million actually came from the discretionary, which is the base funding. So the trust fund, as mandatory funding, was designed to be on top of the discretionary funding. So while the trust fund, the mandatory, wasn't cut, that $600 million loss in our discretionary was a huge loss for health centers. So the reduction required using the fund dollars, those trust fund dollars, to backfill pre-health reform activities to avoid a disruption of services. And that reduced the fund's overall impact by approximately $3 billion over five years. So keep in mind it's $9.5 billion as uh, mandatory funding for operations, but that's split up over three years, and you have to backfill that $600 mm -hmm. million every year. So since the year the fund was created, there have been more than 700 new access points, and access has been expanded to roughly 4 million new patients. 
it's also been dedicated to quality improvement initiatives, so it's nice to have these funds to help health centers actually continue to improve their dedicated quality improvement programs and create networks of health centers to improve data and IT. And money from those funds have also been used to help health centers with their outreach and enrollment activities. All health centers in all states are actually able to help with the insurance expansion efforts by going out to their communities and finding people who are eligible for insurance, whether it's Medicaid or the exchange, and helping them enroll. They're also doing that with in their community as well, those that are already serving, so that they're actually doing outreach enrollment activities for their patients as well as um, the larger community need. So we are expecting major investments this year and next, um, and these will be the biggest annual projected funding, funding increases as part of the dedicated funding. And if folks are interested in learning more, we have a lot of policy and advocacy information on NAC's website again, um, and this is a good way to stay informed and also to take action. Well, let me ask you now, so now that you've explained um, really the, the, the net amount of additional money compared to the, five, the 11 billion after the cut of 3 billion over 5, we're now looking in 18 months to this money running out. Five years will expire the fall of 2015. So you're looking at what is classically termed on the Hill a fiscal cliff. Mm -hmm. um, so what's the activities of the NAC as it relates to trying to deal with this expected funding de facto cut. Right, and we're calling it the primary care cliff. It would result in a 70% funding reduction for health centers. So the health center grant is financed through a mix of annual discretionary appropriations and that mandatory fund I mentioned earlier. In fiscal year 2016, as of right now, health centers face a funding cliff as the Health Center Trust Fund will end, unless, of course, it is reauthorized. So with only discretionary funding at current levels, health centers would see up to 70% reduction in grant funding. That leads to significant cuts in operations and reduction or elimination of healthcare access in some of the nation's most vulnerable communities. For example, we would expect to see site closures, layoffs, and reduction of services and hours. So health centers are asking Congress to reauthorize the mandatory health center fund for fiscal years 2016 through 2020 to preserve the long-term stability of the program, as well as to help health centers serve 35 million patients by 2020. Um, we've actually published a very new recent brief that I think will help explain this to folks. It's called our Access is the Answer Brief. And again, you can find that at, on our website or go to NAC.com research. And interestingly, um, Access is the Answer. We, this is what we feel this is really about. So Access is the Answer is the name of an advocacy campaign we've also recently launched. In that brief and in the companion two-pager folks will find online, it, these reports also make the case for why it is we really need to expand community health centers. So as many folks know, access to primary and preventative care is slipping nationally. And as some people know, insurance is not enough. It's not enough on its own to guarantee access because decisions made by providers still impact people's access to care. For example, a provider may not locate in communities that um, are in desperate need of primary care, or they make other decisions not to serve certain insured or uninsured populations, or they may not be equipped to serve uh, people who serve other languages, for example. So there are many other reasons why insurance is not enough. So, for example, mm -hmm. to further your point, two-thirds mm -hmm. of physicians do not ex nationally do not accept new Medicaid patients. 
Right, and there's been a lot of studies that show they're also pulling back on charity care as well. And while there is a massive insurance expansion happening nationally, it's not happening in every state right now. So these papers um, that I just mentioned, um, our access is the answer brief, and it's two-page companion fact sheet, took a closer look at this. So we wanted to know who are and how many people out there are experiencing primary care shortages. So in other words, who lives in communities that have too few physicians to serve the community's need? And we were really pleased to work with the Robert Graham Center to produce these numbers and this information. So we found that 62 million people nationally are in this shortage gap. They live in communities that have too few primary care providers. They're in every state, and also on our website, you can actually find maps for, all, for your state, and you can look in your community, and you can learn more about who those people experiencing primary care shortages are. Um, but we also know that um, the health center program has actually kept that number from getting worse. Over 20 million more would have been impacted if it wasn't for community health centers. And uh, we know a little bit more about who those people are. So they're, they're really people from all walks of life. Most of them actually do have insurance. Um, however, the uninsured, of course, are disproportionately affected by the lack of having this usual source of care. So it's 30% of all uninsured Americans are affected compared to 21% of all insured. Um, just to go into a little bit more of who else is affected by um, experiencing primary care shortages, 38% of the 62 million are racial and ethnic minority, 43% are low income, 28% are rural, and if you're curious to know more about the um, insurance status, so 21% of them are uninsured, um, but 22% have Medicaid and 58%, as I mentioned, do have um, insurance. So I think that helps make the point that insurance is not enough to guarantee access to care. But of course, you know, those experiencing uh, shortages need providers who understand and can manage their complex care. And these communities probably have very high pent-up demand for care as well. These providers need to be very accustomed to knowing how to remove complex barriers to care. Um, so we think that health centers are ready to expand into these communities, that they offer a good model for these communities and can really do a lot to not only improve access, but narrow health care disparities and improve quality of care. The one other point I want to mention about this, though, is that, again, that this is an important indicator of unmet need, the number of people who don't have access purely because of shortages. But of course, as most people know, it's really just one measure of unmet health need. As I mentioned, there are um, other complex barriers out there as well. So with that, um, we're at our time mm -hmm. boundary. So let me, Michelle, say thank you again for your time. Thank you.